Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In chapter one of his monologium, so right from the very start, Anselm is going to provide us with what he takes to be a rational proof, an argument for the existence of God. God understood as the supreme being, but also in this chapter as the supreme goodness and as supreme greatness, uh, something that he's also going to talk a bit about in chapter two. So we'll, we'll talk about just how he conceptualizes that at the very end of this when we turn to chapter two. What we want to look at here is the argument that Anselm is making in chapter 1, which has to do with the notion of goodness and where goodness comes from. Now, it's, it's very important that you keep in mind the two background assumptions that I've talked about. Anselm is adopting a Platonist perspective, so he does, in fact, hold to a doctrine of participation, which is going to play a role here. He also holds to a doctrine of degrees of being, which also plays a role here, although in a less ex explicit way. So he, he starts out by saying, look, we know from experience that there is a multiplicity of good things. How do we know that? He says, we turn our mind towards investigating the source of the goodness of those things that we desire because we judge that they're good. What do we in fact see? There's countless goods whose great diversity we experience both through our bodily senses, you know, like drinking coffee or laying around and, and relaxing or, you know, seeing an interesting spectacle. And he says also through the reasoning of our mind. You know, like when, for example, we're told we should take some bitter medicine and we're like, ah, oh, that doesn't sound very good to me, but I'd rather not be sick, so I think I'll take the medicine. That's through the reasoning of our, our mind, right? And he says we encounter this, this vast plurality, this multiplicity, this diversity of goods. And the question then that raises itself for us is, well, is there something that actually makes these goods good? And Anselm is going to answer, yes, there is indeed one thing through which all of these goods are good. And I'm not putting that at this point in the argument because we want to see, you know, sort of the objections that could be made against that and how he deals with those objections. We're going to come back to that in, in just a moment, but I wanted to signal that. He notes that there is a multiplicity as well of reasons, or is he saying things, or, or you might say the why, that makes things good. And he's got some interesting examples here that are, are well worth considering. He says a horse, if we want to call a horse good, we can pick other things besides the horse, and we can pick other qualities besides this, but you get the general idea. A horse is called good through one thing because it's strong. A horse is called good through another because it's fast. Strength, fastness, not the same thing, right? You can have a very big, strong horse like a Clydesdale, and it can pull the beer wagon or whatever it's supposed to do, right? And pull the plow. And it can be extremely strong, but not particularly fast. You can have a racehorse that can take off, but it can't pull the plow to save its life. As a matter of fact, it can't really go much of any pace without some really super light, almost childlike jockey on its back. And a grown man like myself would slow it down and probably hurt it. These are different things. So a horse that is strong and fast appears to be good 
through two different things, strength and speed. He makes the problem even more complex. He says, why don't we consider a robber who also is strong and fast to be a good robber because of his strength and his, his quickness? We actually say he's bad because of that, because it makes it easier for him to break into our houses and steal our stuff and get away, right? So it's not those things on their own that make everything good. Not everything that is fast is good. Not everything that is strong is necessarily good. So what, what actually does make things good? Anselm is not trying to provide you with a full ethical theory at this point. He's trying to make an argument here that is, is going to lead somewhere else. He's got a whole other set of discussions about the nature of goodness in other places. He goes on and he says, Nothing is ordinarily considered good except either one of two things. Either because of some usefulness, right? In Latin, that's utilitas, and he's going to talk about this in other places as the beneficial, the commodum, that which is, is conducive to us. Here he gives the example of uh, health and those things that conduce to health, right? Or, that is one type of, of goodness, or because of some intrinsic value. And this is a, a way to try to translate a term that Anselm is using, honestatum, honestatis, honestas. It's hard to get across. It does mean something like that which has value for its own sake, that we get honesty from that, that term. It's a term that's used to translate another equally difficult to translate Greek term, the kalon, meaning that which is attractive, beautiful, honorable, pleasing, but not just not merely pleasing, but pleasing because it's got an intrinsic goodness to it. So in any case, something that has intrinsic value. And here he gives the example of beauty and things that contribute to beauty. So these are two very basic ways for things to be good. So the robber is not good even though the robber is strong and fast because the robber is the opposite of useful. The robber is actually harmful to other people. And also, you know, if you want to get down to it, to the robber, him or herself, right? So the question that we can ask then, you notice what we've been doing, is sort of circling in on a few things that, out of this multiplicity, that make good things good. The question then is, is there one thing that we can trace all of these back to? Anselm says that there must be some good through which all good things are good. Uh, not just good in the sense of usefulness or in intrinsic goodness, but good per se. All goodness must ultimately refer to and trace back to a goodness, a unity of goodness that makes everything else good. So he says, uh, for example, a little bit earlier, to all who are willing to pay attention, it's clear and quite certain all things whatsoever that are said to be more or less equally a certain way as compared to each other are said through something that is not understood as different, but rather the same and different things. There's that doctrine of participation. And then he says, it's certain that all goods, if they're compared to each other, are either equally or unequally good. So it must be that they're good through something that is understood to be the same in diverse things, even though it seems that sometimes different goods are said to be good through different things. So when we're considering the multiplicity of goods, we have some general unity that we trace them back to. 
And then he goes on and he says, it must be the case that all useful or intrinsically valuable things, if they are genuinely good, and he's saying intrinsically valuable things are in fact genuinely good, useful things could be good, could also not be good, right? If they're good, they must be good through that very same thing, whatever it is, through which all goods must be or exist. However you want to divide up goodness in your general categories, whether you want to use like an Aristotelian differentiation between the good as pleasant, the good as useful, the good as, you know, good in itself, the kalon, whether you want to adopt some other thing. Anselm can still say the same basic idea. Okay, well, what makes all those kinds of good, good? Can we trace it back to something central? And he thinks that we can't. Now, this thing makes all other good things good. He says, who would doubt that this thing through which all goods exist is itself a great good? Now, how great is it? He says, can this good have its being through another? This is where we're getting to sort of the top of the ladder, you might say. This good thing, goodness itself, through which all these good things that we call good exist, through which they have their being as good, could that itself be dependent upon something else, not even necessarily right up front for its goodness, but for its being? Anselm says no, because if that were to be the case, then the being which causes the good, capital G, to exist, would in fact be better than the good because it's productive of such a great good. So it would, there would be a yet greater good, and the good would be unequal to it. And that's not, you know, coherent to think through. So he says that's what leads us to conclude that this good is supremely good. And what does he mean by supreme? Well, he explains here. Supreme, by the way, is a relative term. Says so something is supreme if it surpasses others in such a way that nothing is equal to or more excellent, or, or better than it. So what is this good? It's going to be the supreme good. That also means that it is supremely great, which is technically, when we get down to it, the same thing as being good, but does seem to be something different from that. So he goes on and explains this. He says, it is supremely good, supremely great, in other words, supreme among all existing things. He's got that, that he's demonstrated there is a supreme good. That is what, what Anselm considers God to be. So this is an argument for the existence of God. Now in chapter two, like I promised, we're gonna go a little bit further. And he says, we have something that is supremely great, since whatever great things exist are great through some one thing that is great through itself. And he goes on to explain, well, what do we mean by great? Do we mean that it's like God is the biggest thing of all? He says, no, we're not talking about bodily magnitude in terms of greatness. He says, I mean great in the sense that the greater something is, the better or worthier it is, as, for example, wisdom is great. Wisdom is not something that you can easily quantify, although people like, you know, IQ tests, that's, that's actually measuring wisdom. That's just measuring a certain, many respects, secondary aspect of, of intelligence. But we are thinking about something that can have a highest degree. So wisdom is something good to have. The more that you have of it, the better it is to be that way. 
And then he says, only what is supremely good can be supremely great. So there must be something greatest and best that is supreme among all existing things. Again, what is he attempting to do here? This is an argument for the existence of God. But it's an argument based on the nature of goodness arguing to a supreme goodness, which would be God. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.